Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad that you've joined us today. It is such an honor to have, honestly, an educational technology star with us, Dr. Monica Burns. In crafting our lessons today, there's just so much technology from which to choose. And our focus today really is the title of Monica's new book, which is Tasks Before Apps. How can technology further rigorous learning and support students in meeting their learning goals? Hi, Dr. Burns. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, three things I want to tell everybody about you. Dr. Burns is the founder of Class Tech Tips. If you have not been to that site, you're missing out. I frequent that site every week, so you really got to go to that Class Tech Tips site. She is a curriculum and ed tech consultant. She's an author. She's one of the world's leading experts on effective use of digital tools and maximizing the potential of all of our learners. She speaks all over the world on educational technology. The book we're going to focus on a lot today is her new one uh, from ASCD, which is called Tasks Before Apps. Designing Rigorous Learning in a Tech-Rich Classroom. But she has a couple other fantastic books from Corwin. And if you go to her site, Class Tech Tips, you're going to see links to her books, all that kind of stuff. So, Dr. Burns, first of all, tell us just a little bit about yourself and why you're so passionate about classroom technology, how this journey started for you. Absolutely. So I am a former New York City public school teacher. I'm still in the tri-state area. I've been out of the classroom for a few years, but my last two years in the classroom are one-to-one iPads. So starting off my career with chalk and a chalkboard and overhead projectors, all the way to going one-to-one with devices. And so at that time, I became really interested and excited about how we could use digital tools in a thoughtful way to really integrate into learning experiences, but also provide students with opportunities they just would never have before um, the technology was, I call it the magical delivery, (laughs) arrived um, at our school. And so now that I've been out of the classroom for a few years, I have been speaking and traveling and working with teachers um, in different parts of the country and different spots in the world. Just yesterday, I was able to lead a whole bunch of demo lessons at an elementary school um, here in New York. So I still get to spend a lot of time with students and teachers uh, side-by-side in schools, as well as writing and sharing about education technology strategies for thoughtful and purposeful integration. So your new book is entitled, I love, I love the title, Tasks Before Apps. So tell us a little bit about where you came, came up with that title from what you're seeing. So that title came out of uh, some sessions uh, that I was giving, uh, concurrent sessions at conferences, really where I was focused on how can we make sure that the learning is front and center, that we have these wonderful tools that might seem flashy to people outside of education, but how can we make sure that we are really putting the learning front and center when we're developing activities for students, experiences for them, um, that we still are connected to learning goals, that we've identified our success criteria, that we have a mission and a purpose for using these digital tools. And so that's really where this idea of tasks before apps came from. 
There's so many wonderful open-ended creation tools that I share um, with teachers and with students when I'm in classrooms. So we can go in all these different directions when we have this access to digital tools, but we really want to make sure there's a plan, there's a purpose behind it. And I felt, you know, going around to, to different places, especially early on when tablets came into the play and Chromebook parts were delivered to schools, you know, there is a lot of uh, conversation about how to make this the most meaningful uh, possible. And that's really where the phrase tasks before apps came from. What can we do to develop rigorous learning activities that are enhanced and energized and elevated um, with digital tools? And side by side with that, something that uh, when I was doing some reading on your work, you talk about teaching digital citizenship kind of side by side with that because students have to understand that. So what do you think of when you think of digital citizenship? What's our focus on that? So there's so many layers to making sure that students are prepared for interacting in a world that is becoming increasingly digital. And so when I talk about this concept of tasks before apps and developing engaging learning experiences for students, the more that we can mirror the experiences that they will um, come across throughout their educational career and then outside of the classroom, right, the better. So whether it is empowering students as creators to make a product and they're doing that collaboratively with their peers. And yes, that could be, we have a shared Google doc and we're both working in two different places as part of our plan or it's side by side. We're talking about things together. We are making decisions. We're compromising, evaluating, you know, that's all part of it as well. And then another piece is really this idea that, and I talk about this a lot when I speak with, with teachers and with groups, right? We, as adults and students that we are all consuming so much content, whether it is searching for something on YouTube, reading blog posts on our phone, right? We are consuming so much. And that's one of the wonderful things that digital tools give us this access to more information. But I really think that the more we can empower students as creators, the smarter evaluators of content they become, you know, the smarter consumers of content. So that's one layer of it. And then another piece, you know, has to do with how every everyday activities with students can help them practice and apply the digital citizenship skills we sometimes put in in isolation. So later today, I'm speaking to a group of teachers specifically around back channels and formative assessment. So in that case, right, yes, we might be checking for understanding by watching a student discussion take place during a live learning experience. But at the same time, we're giving students a really organic way to apply their digital citizenship skills, their commenting, their online contributions. So the more we can be thoughtful about those pieces, really the better. And I think listening to, to you on this, you know, and I'm just getting motivated and inspired by it. What are <laughs> two, two of the things you've seen lately? Like what are two of the, let's talk about some fun stuff. <laughs> what, what, yeah. are, what are two of the most innovative ed tech tools you've, you're out there that, are, that we may not know about right now that you've seen that are pretty cool? Yeah. So one thing that I love, and just yesterday I was doing some demo lessons with students with virtual reality. Um, even as young as kindergarten, there's ways that we can incorporate 360 images and 360 video into experiences that are purposeful embedded within content area goals. So for example, yesterday I led a lesson with a group of third graders where we were looking at main idea and details, right? Something that might feel a little dry or test preppy, right? Especially this time of year. And so we were 
looking at passages together, really thinking about supporting details. But because we were reading about the Grand Canyon, right, I integrated a 360 image panoramic VR experience within Nearpod so students could move back and forth with their iPads and look up and down and, and understand what it looks like to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon to really make that reading passage more meaningful to them. So I love virtual reality for providing context and background knowledge for students. So that's one thing I'm really excited about. And another is the ability for students to really create professional, beautiful, high quality products that look really great <laughs> when they're finished um, with a tool like Spark Video, but also require them to make a lot of decisions that help them think deeply about content. So whether that's thinking about what kind of icon or symbol will pop up on the screen to communicate their message to an audience or how music um, connects to the theme or the mood that they're trying to get across as they write a persuasive piece of writing and turn that into a public service announcement. So I'm really excited about virtual reality and how accessible that can be. I have a recent blog post on my site about using like what VR can look like without a headset, right? So something really accessible for kids, but then also what can they produce that are they're proud of that connects to content area goals. And I'm really excited about the Spark tool, specifically, you know, Spark video in this context for making that free and available to students. Well, I'm going to have to check that out. When when you're in buildings, which you are all the time, um, you're doing learning walks, you're walking through classrooms. If you could step into the role of an instructional coach, an administrator doing learning walks, what kinds of things should we look for when we're looking at integrating technology, student use of technology? What kinds of things should we be looking for? I think there's a few things that are on my mind when I'm peeking into classrooms or preparing to do some side-by-side -side coaching with teachers at schools. And one is a clear purpose, right? So what is our connection to the specific learning goals we've outlined, whether that's on a curriculum map for the whole class or whether that's individual you know, intervention uh, for students depending on their specific needs. So I'm really looking for that connection, um, the why uh, behind what we're using um, more so than even a classroom management or uh, working through logistical challenges, right? That really is the foundation of the why we've chosen to do this, what the purpose is uh, for using a particular tool. The next piece I'm looking at is really how this looks like for engagement for all learners. So this is where some differentiation with tech might come in. So as much as it might be nice to create a whole class learning activity that is connected to learning goals, how are we then accommodating the needs of individual students, the kids who maybe are conversationally proficient in the language that's being the primary use for instruction? So maybe they are conversationally proficient in English, yet they struggle as writers or readers of the language. So how can we incorporate multimedia for them to access information or video or voice recordings for them to respond? So I've been really excited about the tool Flipgrid, as many other people have been excited about it, because that's a tool where students can use their voice to capture their thinking, to reflect on their learning. And those are the kind of use cases that I'm looking for as I'm kind of walking around and talking to teachers and talking to students, right? How are they using the power of voice and video to reflect and capture learning? How are they using um, devices to create a product that shows what they know? And of course, 
having that open-ended creation experience is really balanced with say, you know, adaptive software that might move them through different modules, pinpointing their specific needs. So there's that balance of checking for understanding in ways that feel very adaptive and reactive when it comes to different programs that might be used, as well as checking for understanding where students are applying what they've learned in a very relevant context. And teachers can then use what they know about success criteria, what they've identified as the expectations for students to then help move them through um, their journey as they they grow in a particular strategy um, that they're applying to help them with a particular skill. Well, I love those tips. And uh, since you mentioned balance, that's a question I, I want to talk to you a little bit about. I was in a building last week and, and this uh, concept sort of hit me. If I'm in an elementary school, I, a lot of those teachers, they have the same students all day. So they're aware that we're using this technology in science. We're going to be using this in math. But then I was in a high school. And of course, that's departmentalized. And so how do we how do we watch, and this is a big question here, how do we sort of look at the balance overall in a school like that in terms of when are we off technology? When are we using technology? How much technology? I'm asking you a really big question here, but do you have, could you offer some guidance on that a little bit on the balance? Absolutely. And so here, you know, I really want to focus, you know, that piece or on you know quality versus quantity. So thinking about what the quality use cases look like. There's so many moments where students, young and old, we want them to be hands-on. We want them to have a pencil in their hand. We want them to have glitter and glue and scissors and creating something tangible. You know, and there's going to be times where they grab that tablet or they grab their smartphone or their Chromebook and they snap a picture of that thing that they've made and they upload that picture to share it with an authentic audience. So it's not about being paperless or being all digital all the time, but really leveraging the power of these tools when it makes sense and when it's appropriate. So I think that some of the conversations, especially when you're thinking across content area in one grade level or across the school day in upper grade levels, you know, we really want to be mindful of what planning looks like both horizontally and vertically for different learning activities so that things feel coherent um, and cohesive all right, over the course of the day so kids can talk about their learning all day long. And there's this thread that moves through that connects their learning as well. So I think that sometimes we're kind of set up or we're, we're conditioned to think about measuring technology use in terms of minutes or screen time. And I really think that the more the more appropriate conversation is around the quality interactions. So there might be a day where a student, you know, is on their tablet for, you know, a majority of the day, snapping a picture, recording audio, creating a video that documents their learning, annotating a passage on their device to send that to their teacher so they can give voice feedback um, on what their, you know, mock-up of their draft um, for their writing. But then there's going to be days where students are, you know, conversing with one another, where quality conversations are taking front and center, where they're working um, hands-on with a science experiment and maybe taking a minute or two to snap a picture or to write down some data within a, a device, yet the time that they might spend that day you know, with the screen in their hand might be less than the day before. So I think having conversations around quality interactions and balancing that across content area so everyone is aware about the different use cases and different 
parts of a child's day can really help everyone prioritize how technology can be infused into different, different learning moments. I just think that's such insightful guidance rather than measuring screen time um, and looking at the purpose. Does that go hand in hand with this phrase that I read that I'm not sure what it means, but if you could expound a little bit, consumption to creation. Can you expound on that a little bit? Absolutely. So I, we, everyone loves numbers, right? Especially in education. We want to measure things. We want to feel good about um, having some data that feels actionable, but not all data is going to be worth our, our time in terms of, of what we're going to use to make decisions. And not to be said that we should ignore screen time completely, but this becomes that quality versus quantity. And so when I talk about content consumption and content creation, that's also something we want to have have a balance between, you know, I go um, to conferences, I speak a lot, I share a lot, but I also listen a lot to what other people are, are talking about and are passionate about. And, you know, sometimes I see this content consumption verse content creation as if we only want students to be creating on devices. And that's the only high quality use case um, of it as well. And I share that um, pitting against one another when I talk to teachers because, you know, I worry that we feel like there's a battle and we have to choose one, right? Either students are making, making, making and producing content all day long, or they're consuming content all day long. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. There's so much value um, for what students have access to on their devices, what they can find a quick answer to, or what they can start a deep dive into exploring about a particular topic. So I always want to make sure I place the value on how wonderful these tools can be to consume content. That being said, we want to have a balance. We want kids making and applying synthesizing what they've learned from multiple sources to create a product that gives a full picture of their understanding that contributes to solving a problem or helping someone else um, with a particular uh, topic that they're ready to dive into. So that balance is crucial. And I also believe that when we empower students to create products, whether it's a video, whether it's their own podcast, whether it's a website they're ready to publish, we help them become smarter consumers of content too, right? When they watch a video and they hear music and it makes them feel a certain way, well, they know what it's like to choose music to influence their audience or to connect their audience to a theme. Or when they visit a website and they're not sure if this information really makes sense, they are, you know, there's a couple red flags. Well, when they've made their own website, they know what to look for when it comes to citations or what it comes to look for for quality use um, of media. So I think that that balance between consumption and creation is really important. You know, students are consuming so much more content than, you know, we could ever imagine. And as adults, we understand and appreciate the value of easy access to videos that help us solve a problem or find a recipe or locate information. And so we can really help students navigate those spaces by also empowering them to be creators of their own content and think about the way that they interact with an audience. Wow. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Going into, you're in a lot of schools and, and you know, you've been on this journey for many years where you started your one-to-one -one in your classroom. Where do you think we are? If you had to offer maybe two tips or maybe two issues or two things we need to change, what are some things sort of for tomorrow we could take with us? Like, what would you love to see change in our use of technology? 
Yeah. So I, you know, I taught in an urban setting. I'm in a public school. I work now with suburban, rural and urban parochial independent public schools. So I'm in a lot of different spaces. I was in international schools, uh, school earlier this month. And it's been really interesting to see a variety of adoption of tools that are the same, um, you know, physically the same tablet or the same Chromebook and see the variety that takes place in, in these different spots. So one of my big, you know, kind of tips or next steps or kind of easy wins is really just, you know, sit back and take a look at your, your curriculum map, sit back and take a look at your learning goals and think of what your unit is looking like coming up and choose those moments strategically where you can embed digital tools, not because it is something that you need to bite off so much in order to be successful. But if you're saying, you know, we're going to do a unit on the scientific method that I've taught every year for the past 10 years, what can I do now with digital tools I couldn't do before? And one thing might seem simple, which is just finding someone who's an expert and video conferencing with them for 20 minutes. And if you can do that and embed that moment in your lesson, well, you've really changed something that you've always done to connect your students to a real audience using video conferencing tool. And that's something you might just not have been able to do five or 10 or or 15 years ago. So I think zeroing in on those small wins is really important because they add up and it can help us navigate what works, what doesn't work um, with introducing different experiences and leveraging the power of tools. So I think those small wins, if they can add up in your school, focus in on that one thing that seems small and just keep building, building your tool belt that way. Fabulous. And you know, one thing that I'm aware of keenly, I put it in the first chapter of my last book is about what employers are looking for today. They are looking for problem solvers, communicators, team leaders, Um, How do you feel like technology can assist us or support our students in those sort of soft skills that we're all trying to work on as well to help our students be super valuable as adults? It's so important. And I'm so glad, you know, to hear you mention as well, you know, that being an area where you're passionate about and focusing your energy on in your writing, because I think that when we talk about preparing students for the future and what the jobs of tomorrow that we don't quite know what they're going to look like um, for children who are graduating now or who are entering kindergarten now. And so the more that we can prepare them as problem solvers and creative thinkers and collaborators, the better prepared they'll be for those unknowns when it comes to applying skills or finding information or or solving issues that come down the line. And uh, recently on my blog, I featured some of the... Uh, the research or survey results from the folks at Adobe Education around creativity in the classroom and how to really empower students as creators of content. So I think that layers in with you know some of the ideas I focus on um, in tasks before apps, right? This idea that we can give students opportunities to problem solve and to make things. And the more that we can connect that to solving a real problem in the community doesn't have to be a huge issue, right? Or solving something pressing in the whole nation, but what's locally happening? What's going on down the block or in a 
uh, industry that's important to your community that students can connect to, that they can learn about, and they can make a product that can impact change. The more they'll see the applications for what's happening in school, the more relevant they'll understand um, the things that are happening. But we really can produce opportunities for students to create um, products. And I think that creativity component is really going to help students become problem solvers down the line. And one thing, uh, just one final question that I have for you is, and I, and it, through my learning walks, one of the things I'm trying to get my mind around are ways while students are using technology, they can collaborate more. And I've seen some masterful teachers do some great things. Um, but what, what tips do you have some ideas on that? Because sometimes I'll go in, they're kind of on their own and that's fine. And other times they're working together. Uh, and I want to see visible evidence of learning. And sometimes that's difficult when there's a screen. So I'm talking about very pragmatic things here, but when we're doing walks, how can we listen and see, see their work when they're using technology? Right. So I think that one of the things that when we talk about collaboration, there's so many forms, right? Can you track changes in a Google Doc and see comments from different group members? You know, absolutely. And that's great. Um, but it's something where, you know, we're then spending time on our own individual devices as opposed to what I call in the book shared screen collaboration where kids are leaning over, they're talking, they're chatting, they're compromising, they're evaluating the opinion of their peers, and they're making a case for their own opinion and all of those soft skills we want them to develop. So when it comes to really monitoring um, that type of collaboration, especially when it happens in this digital space, uh, one thing I really love is the ability to incorporate uh, video reflections or video exit slips. So students are reflecting, they're taking some ownership of what their day-to-day contributions look like. And maybe that's something like having students respond to a prompt in Google Classroom or Schoology or Edmodo, or maybe it's having them upload a video reflection like something using something like Flipgrid, where part of the routine, part of the expectation, and something that you can check in on regularly are those reflections. So students can document what it is that they've contributed to a group. They can reflect on the effectiveness of their contributions and how their team members are working together. And I think that's one way to have uh, more transparency during collaborative tasks. Gosh, Monica, I've learned so much from you. I'm on my seventh page of notes here. So I'm going to start, <laughs> start wrapping up here a little bit. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of list my takeaways. And then if you'll add a couple that you'd like, because there's just been so much valuable information here. One thing I think is really, it's about their learning target. And technology is going to help move them in different ways to that learning target. It's about empowering students. It's about deepening understanding. And I'm I'm so glad to hear you say that it's about quality over time because I think we get maybe hung up on how much screen time, how much, and, and really it's it's about this thoughtful planning towards our learning targets. Add a couple takeaways for me. Yeah, so I appreciate all of those points that you mentioned. And one other thing I would add is just that we can really leverage the power of digital tools to level the playing field for students. You know, whether that's a child in your class who's never been to that one place everyone else has been. You know, I taught in New York City um, on the island of Manhattan, and I had students who had never been to the beach before who are 10 or 11 years old, right? So when we have conversations about that, 
uh, you know, a place that's only a couple of miles away, right? How can I level the playing field for students using digital tools? Maybe it's a virtual reality experience when we talk about national parks. Maybe it's a video for students to watch and to learn about a place before we talk about westward expansion, right? Whatever it might be, um, I really think that we have an opportunity to give students multiple ways to interact with content, multiple ways to demonstrate their learning. And that's one thing we can really take advantage of when we have digital tools in the hands of students. Well, you know, that's just a beautiful thought. We're just bringing the world to everybody there. I love that. Well, I have so enjoyed learning from you, Dr. Monica Burns. Uh, again, her website is Class Tech Tips. Um, if, you, if you're driving, don't write any of that down. You can always go to Maya at Expert. You can see Monica's face there and some links to her website there. For every educator out there, we just want to thank you for creating possibilities for your students every single day, for opening doors for your kids every single day. Please join us next time for another conversation with top educational thought leaders. Thank you, Dr. Burns. Thank you so much for having me. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.